Let's pray before we get going this morning. Heavenly Father, what an amazing song and a reminder of what you have done for us. And Lord, we call this decision Sunday for a reason because really everybody in this room, we have a decision to make, and that is we want to be more like you. Thank you for dying for us, loving us so much that through your grace that uh, we can surrender to you and we can be saved. Thank you for today. Thank you for every day. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. It was pretty amazing this morning uh, coming in. I just got to tell you how beautiful this location is. Uh, all the balloons were launching about 7, 7.15, and uh, what, a, what a great place. And I hope you like the way the room is set up. Our goal is that this is what it's going to be like this for a long time. Uh, AMVET has actually allowed us to build a, a wall and a room in the back, so we're going to be able to have a large spot for our kids, and uh, we're really excited. So it gives us room to grow, uh, Lord willing, another 100 people. Are you ready for that? Oh, wow. I'm, I'm not lying, but that's kind of pathetic. So are you ready for that? Yeah. Yeah, wow. That was like a golf clap. Yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be so good. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Hey, we're going to talk today about probably one of my favorite things in the world uh, growing up and just watching how God changes lives and this starting point, which is baptism. And as we get into this, i got to be honest with you, one of the things that I think about a lot are symbols and how important symbols are in life. And here's a, a couple of symbols I want you to think about, that if you see these, they're the most popular symbols in the world. Uh, first is Apple. So if you see that Apple and you see the iPhones all over the world, just that brand, that's not the company. If you were to go in and buy that brand, that logo, that would cost you $98.3 billion. That's what that symbol's worth. Coca-Cola is uh, only worth $79 billion. That's for global awareness of that logo. Now, we're all aware of the power of symbols. Here's a few of them here. Here's the first one, McDonald's. How many parents here have traveled and you heard your kids say from the back of the van, the golden arches, have you heard that? Yeah. And you're like, oh no, I got to eat that. Okay, so you eat it and you move on. Here's another symbol. Next time you decide I'm going to work out and you see that Nike swoosh. It reminds you of Forrest Gump, and you got to get going. And here's a, an iconic symbol in Bloomington. It's Starbucks. Can we throw that? Yeah. How many of you have seen that symbol? What? Got to clap for that. Good job, Evan. Okay. There are, just, just to show you how much we love our coffee, there are seven Starbucks outlets in Bloomington where you can get your coffee and sit down. We're addicted to coffee, and I feel sorry for all of you that are addicted to that, because I'm also addicted to that. Okay. Now, what does this symbol mean to you when we bring it up? Freedom. Yeah, you can clap. That's a great thing, okay? It should, do, it should stir your soul. I mean, when you're in another country and you see somewhere, you look around and you'll see an American flag, it does something. It, it's, a, it's a powerful, powerful symbol. I mean, one of the most uh, memorable pictures, if you remember after 9-11, was in all that rubble. And you remember that flag that came through and all the dust and, and the grime and the death, and yet there was that flag that stood. That should mean something to you. And here's a symbol that I love every year. And I'll pull this up, guys. This uh, is a picture I took with my iPhone last year. And, uh, and I'm really strange. And you're, you've already figured that out. I love Easter, but I don't love the big hoopla of Easter. I mean, I love that the fact that so many people come to church. I really do. But you know my favorite part of the day on Easter Sunday? It's right here. It's the sunrise service. I absolutely love it. And here's why. 
I get up in the morning, it's pitch dark, and it's so quiet. Nobody's on the road. I drive. I'll get to the site there at the church, and uh, I usually have a flashlight to see my way to the cross, and usually I share a little bit that morning. Uh, We have a communion out there. Uh, We always sing a couple of the old hymns, uh, Up from the Grave He Arose, In the Garden. We take communion. It takes about 40 minutes, and at the end of that time we take communion, the sun starts coming up. And I take a deep breath, and it just kind of recalibrates what I'm living for. This is what Jesus Christ has done for me, that I should never take for granted his death, his burial, and his resurrection. His death, his burial, his resurrection. And it should resonate deep in our hearts. So when anybody comes to me and they say, what does the cross mean to you? I think it's summed up very well by A.W. Tozer. Here's what he said. The cross is the lightning rod of grace that short circuits God's wrath to Christ so only the light of his love remains for believers. The cross is God's lightning rod of the world, that he allowed his son to take it for us, and we should never take that cross for granted. That's why we're here today. Every one of you sitting here today, we're here by God's grace. That cross changed everything. It is the lightning rod to the world. So as we talk about baptism, it's not a one-time event. It is really something we need to look deep into. And here's why I'm sharing it the way I'm sharing it with you today. Let's say you're talking to a friend or a family member, and somehow baptism comes up, and you're spinning, like, what do I say? What do I say? And here's what I always share. Baptism is Easter Sunday. Every baptism is Easter Sunday. Because everybody knows what Easter Sunday is. Even if you've barely gone to church a day in your life, you know what Easter Sunday is. And what do we celebrate every Easter Sunday? The death, burial, and what? Resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism, again, isn't just something that God put in the motion because it seemed like a simple thing to do. He said, no, I want you to identify. Every human being, I want you to identify with the greatest event of all time, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So first of all, let's back up and talk about his death. If you've got your scriptures, turn with me to Romans chapter 6, and let's look at these powerful verses, verses 1 through 3. But what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How then can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized what? Into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, Father, we too may live a new life. It is a death. What a powerful death it was. Max Licato said this, and I mean to tell you, it, it's one of those, Licato has a way of kind of piercing your heart and making you think differently. Listen to his words. The journey to the cross began long before as the echo of the crunching of the fruit was still sounding in the garden. Jesus was leaving for Calvary. Now you think about that. From the very beginning, when man sinned and sin came into the world, Jesus began his death march to the cross. Because you know what he knew? You know what God knew? We can't save ourselves. And we will just keep distancing ourselves from God. 
So from the very beginning, God put into motion the cross. And we hate to talk about the fact that there was a death, but there was a death. Colossians 2.14 has this powerful visual and another symbol, and it talks about the nails of the cross. And that is a symbol of death. But I also want you to know what that nail did. Everybody here today, I'm telling you, you're carrying garbage in your life that if you came up here and you shared the five or six things you don't want anybody to know, it would break your heart. It would shatter your heart because you're ashamed of those things. And I'm in the same boat. There are things I don't want you to know about me. There's a darkness in me that I don't want you to know. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus says through his word, here's what he says. He takes all of those things and he nails those things to the cross. It's his death that gives us life. I mean, that is amazing to me. Jesus Christ, we're told in 1 Corinthians 50, 55, I love this. It says, where, oh, death, where is your what? Sting. Where's your sting? You know what that means? It means Jesus took death to the woodshed for every one of us. He took death to the woodshed. For everybody in this room, he died for you. Make it personal. Because that's the problem sometimes. We say, he died for the world. The world, don't forget the world. He died for you. He died for you. You need to look in the mirror sometime and say, Jesus Christ died for me. He died for you. I want us to read this text together. It's Mark 8, 34 and 35. And I like to do this a little bit different this morning. If you'd stand up just in honor of God's word, and I want us to read this together because I want you to think of the, the impact of his death. Let's read this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel, I will save it. Now you can sit down. Now think about that. Did you hear the heart of that? Do you want to live? You need to die. Now we don't like to hear that. Because in America, let's be honest, we want things simple. We don't like to hear heavy-handed you need to die for this. That's exactly what Jesus said. This isn't simple. If you want to be my disciple, you need to know that I died on the cross, and I want you to deny yourself every day. And by the way, if you're going to follow me, you need to die to yourself. We have a quick story that we want to share with you of a high school student, and I want you to hear her story and what not just baptism meant, but following Jesus Christ. So guys, if we could show that. I decided to be baptized because I had not been since infancy and I, since I was raised in the Episcopal Church um, that was my baptism but then I've been coming to Sherwood Oaks for a while now and I was told that in order to become a member that was you know in needed so I wanted to do that and make my choice for myself rather than when I was six months old. I think it's significant because Jesus himself was baptized, um, so that tells us something. Um, but I just really wanted that union, that uniting with him and the Holy Spirit. I felt led to become a small group leader, and I happened to just want to do a young women's group. And when I approached them about it, they said, we, uh, there's a huge need for that here at Sherwood Oaks for a young women's life group, um, which I didn't know. So that kind of 
um, went hand in hand with the process of me wanting to become an official member and be baptized and then step into that role here. I came in during the week instead of in the middle of a church service because I feel like um, for me personally that's uh, very intimate and I just wanted it to be more private and I was more comfortable that way. So Mary was helping um, me correspond a time to meet with Pastor Allen and set up a time to be baptized. And she was like, hey, he's here, you wanna come in at 10? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it, you know? So it was just kind of spur of the moment and I just came in and met these wonderful women downstairs in the office and they all kind of came with me and we went out to the baptismal pool and he baptized me and that was wonderful. Then on the way out, he gave me some corn from a local farmer and that was much appreciated. So it was a great experience. How good is that? Yeah. Yeah. Woo. No corn, but we do have biscuits and gravy every fifth Sunday. Anyway, I'm going to pull around with that. Now, death, burial. I want you to think about the power of that word burial, because a lot of people say, I don't understand why in a baptism you have to go through this process of being, for, for lack of a better word, dunked. Why we would do that? Well, it's interesting, if you look at that word in, in not just Romans 6, but other time, when you hear the word baptism, the Greek word is actually baptizo. Now, here's what it means. It means to dip, to immerse, to submerge, to cleanse by dipping. And also, one example of that is the sinking of a, a ship. So they would look on the horizon. If they'd see a boat sink, that was the phrase that they would use. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but we need to back up and realize it actually is a big deal. Just for a case of history here. Back in 753, Pope Stephen II said, in case of necessity, this is in the early church, a priest could sprinkle. Then by 1311, in the Council of Ravenna, sprinkling became the norm. Now here's one of the reasons they did that. They sprinkled because there were a lot of infant deaths. So then they added a doctrine. Anybody know what that doctrine was? Original sin. So they said, you know, babies, children, human beings are born with original sin. So we need to sprinkle them because we need to remove their original sin. Now, here's what I agree with. We all are born with a sinful nature. All of us have a sinful nature. But to say that we're born in original sin and that you need to be cleansed of that at birth, here's the problem I have with that. I don't see any biblical principle that supports that. So when you have questions, you say, well, what does the Bible say about that? And when it doesn't say anything about sprinkling infants, you need to back up the train and say, then why did man do that? And if man did that, shouldn't we follow biblical principles? And absolutely, we should. We need to identify with Christ, and part of the process is the burial. Now, it's interesting in Acts 18, if you've got your Bibles again and you want to turn over there, there's a great story. It's a story of a teacher. His name was Apollos. And here's what Apollos was doing. He was baptizing. He was a leader. And in the early church, he was baptizing people in the name of John the Baptist. That's who baptized him. And then he went to the home, interestingly enough, of Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18. And here's a phrase that I absolutely love. They explained to him the way of God more adequately. In other words, you're baptizing folks in the name of John the Baptist. You were baptized by John the Baptist. But we really truly believe that you need to start baptizing people in the name of who? Jesus. In other words, here's this leader, and he said, I am so thankful that you've taught me something that I didn't know. And I accept that because I see the power of God working through you. 
Every one of us need to be learners in our life. Can we have an amen for that one? Every one of us need to realize we don't know it all. And we need to constantly be growing spiritually. And a lot of folks, it's interesting, over the years, here's the interesting thing about Sherwood Oaks. 90%, and I, and I really mean this, 90% of the people did not grow up in a Christian church, Church of Christ background. So this question comes up all the time about baptism. And here's usually how it's couched. I work with college students for years, and here's how it's couched. What you're telling me, they usually get the finger going. What you're telling me is my uncle, who is not baptized, who's a saint, is going to hell. Is that what you're telling me? And I would say, yes, that's what I'm telling you. Now, that's stupid. Okay, I'm sorry. That is just ridiculous. No, I'm not telling you that. What I'm telling you is, though, honestly, if you start opening the Word of God and you start genuinely looking at baptism, I think you're going to come to a different conclusion. So I was on a mission trip a few years ago. These two guys were leaders of a of a Christian group on a campus. Actually, they were from Purdue, so they were a little slow. So anyway, they, they came to me, and, uh, and I didn't even know how, but one, we, I didn't even know how the subject came up, but they said, let's talk about baptism. And they were almost mad at me. I said, okay. They said, listen, we haven't been baptized. So what you're telling me is God can't use me. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what are you talking about? About five days later, they came up and they said, okay, we're going to get baptized. Because Jesus was baptized, not because you said so. Okay. You know, it was just the weirdest thing. But it was interesting. I said, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, we started reading the Bible. We started looking through that. And we thought, yeah, I guess we need to do that. See, we all need times in our life that we have that exact response. I need to do that. Some of you today, that may be what you're struggling with, is this whole idea of why the burial? And let me point out why your attitude is so important that you're asking these questions. There's a remarkable story in the Old Testament. It's found in 2 Kings 5. His name is Naaman, and Naaman calls out to Elisha, and he has leprosy, and he wants the prophet to come to him to cleanse him. Elisha instead sends a messenger back and says, here's what you need to do. Go to the Jordan and just dip yourself seven times in the river, and you'll be cleansed. And he was outraged. I can't believe that the prophet didn't come to me personally. And I love what the servant said in verse 13. My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? To do it. Think about that. He said, if God would have told you to do this amazing act, you would have been in for it. But the fact that he said, why don't you just go dip yourself in the water seven times, that wasn't good enough for you. See, i got to be honest with you. Baptism is humbling ourselves. Ladies, let me pick on you for just a minute. You came in this morning, and you've got a beautiful outfit on. You've got your hair done. God's laying on your heart. You need to be baptized. What are you thinking? I don't think so. Man, you know, that's a pretty humbling experience. And you know what? It is humbling. That's part of the reason God wants us to do it, is he wants us to completely surrender to him. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was really spoiled because I grew up in this little church of Christ, and uh, we had an elder there, and he was like an inventor. He was always tinkering with things, and he didn't like standard baptistries, so he designed one himself. Now, I grew up in a town near a steel mill, 
So he brought in this huge cast iron. He built this thing, cast iron baptistry tank. He built a hydraulic lift on it. So you'd get in the baptistry, it would lower you into the tank. Uh, the water was always like super, super warm. And then here was the most unique thing he did. He put this huge mirror and he slanted it. So every baptism, you would see the body go completely under the water. I thought every baptistry was that way. And I realized it's the only baptistry that I've ever seen that way. Now, here's what I remember as a kid. When they would talk about the death, burial, and resurrection, I still remember the entire body and that we used to have these white gowns. And I remember that body going down. And I remember the body coming up. And in my mind, I'm like, I get it. I know exactly why God did it that way. I want you to think about the power of that is when you surrender to Jesus Christ and you say, I'm putting to death myself, that part of that death process is there is actually a burial. Now, one of the questions is, of course, in a burial, you don't stay underwater for a long period of time. Now, I've had a couple of folks that I've left under, you know, maybe probably a little too long, you know, okay, let's leave, you know, make sure this takes, you know, but at the end of the day, really, if you think about it, it's a powerful, powerful word picture, the death, the burial, and here's my most important part, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you may walk in a newness of life. For just a few moments, I want to share with you some of the questions over the years that people have asked me concerning baptism. Number one, is there something special about the water? No, this isn't holy water. There's nothing magical about the water. It's what the water symbolizes. Number two, where can a person be baptized? And I love this. See, most baptisms that we see, we see in a church. How many of you have either been baptized or have witnessed a baptism outside of a church building? Raise your hand. Uh, how many of those baptisms have been memorable? Raise your hand. Yeah, I want to tell you something. When you're out in an ocean or in a lake or in a pool and it's away from the church and somebody surrenders their life to Christ, there is just something so powerful about that. I can't even tell you how powerful that is. So I want to pause here because here's a question some of you may have about a baptism today. You look around and you think, well, I know we've got a disco ball. You know, I know we've got a prayer in the bar. Where are we going to put a baptistry? And we have a tank set up on the other side of the property. And it's warm. I'm telling you, it's warm. It's great. It's, it's a horse trough, but it's going to work. I'm just telling you, it's going to work, Okay. There's just no excuses for people when they say, I don't know where I'm going to do it. You can do it anywhere. Matter of fact, I want to show you this picture. The guys are going to pull this up. This was the Iraqi war a few years ago, and some soldiers were wanting to get baptized. And I want you to see what they did. They made it happen. We never have an excuse to not make it happen. Never have an excuse. Another question I get asked is, should I get rebaptized? Over the years, I'll have adults who'll come to me and say, I made a decision when I was a kid. And honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought I knew what sin was. I didn't know what sin was. And I need to do this again. Now, biblically, do you need to do it again? No. But if this helps your heart, then I'd say do it. And I've had adults that say, I can't, I can't explain this. It's, it's very similar Sometimes I'll have a couple that says, we've been through so much 
that we want to recommit ourselves in a ceremony. Now, do you have to recommit yourself by the state of Indiana? No, but I get it. I get it. I would never turn somebody down that just says, I need to do this again. This is where it gets tricky, is baptism for church membership. So listen carefully, because this is a tough one. You don't get baptized so that you can become a member of the church. You get baptized to identify with who? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why you get baptized. That's a separate issue. Now, at Sherwood Oaks, where we always start is, when somebody says, I want this to be my church home, where we start is, have you surrendered to Jesus Christ? In other words, have you taken the first step to be baptized? And if somebody says, I haven't done that, we always say, we want you to take that first step first. Now, that's not so you can join Sherwood Oaks. We just want you to take the first step. I don't know if that makes sense, because I realize it can be tricky. It can come across, if you even heard the testimony this morning, if you're not careful, you think, oh, I'm getting baptized to be a member. No, 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 no. You're getting baptized to identify with Jesus Christ. That's the number one priority. Another one is, when should a person get baptized? I love the testimony this morning. Did you notice when she got baptized? Through the week. Let me tell you a secret, and all the elders will tell you this too. Most adults do not get baptized on Sunday morning. Larry, am I right about that? Jeff, putting you on the spot, I know. Because most adults, especially at the East Campus, it's a little intimidating when you walk in front of all these folks. So most adults will say, I would rather do that through the week. And you know what? We honor that. Here's what I think is cool, because I was a youth minister for 25 years. You know who steps up? It's the kids. Do you mind getting baptized on Sunday? I'm in! You know, there's going to be a thousand kids. Party! You know, they're like, go for it. You know what? I love that spirit. Because I'm telling you, here's the beauty of a Sunday morning experience. You never know that your life, your baptism, is going to affect somebody else. We had a couple baptisms a few years ago at, on our decision uh, weekend. It was a Saturday morning breakfast. Both women were over the age of 85. Claudia and Mitch and I were holding the towels, and I looked over at Claudia, and she looked at me. I mean, we're just bawling. I still have a hard time thinking about it. It's like, no matter where you're at in life, give your life to Christ. You should do it when your heart is ready, but do it. Don't just keep putting it off. A few years ago, I was at camp. This is the only exception. I was at camp, and this kid was talking to me. He was about a sixth grader, and just out of the blue, he said, I've been really studying with my grandpa, and um, I'm going to get baptized. I said, are you going to do it this week, or are you going to do it when you get home at church? You know, you shouldn't wait if you're ready. And he said, no, I'm going to put it off about a month. And I said, well, you know, you don't have to wait a month. He goes, well, our whole family's flying over to the Holy Lands, and we're going to get, I'm going to get baptized in the, in the River Jordan. I'm like, well, that's pretty good. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, yeah, put it off a month. You know, that's, that's okay. We can, we can work with that, you know. But I tell you, when God's on your heart, he's working on your heart, you need to listen to God. And here's the biggest thing. Why do people refuse to get baptized? And here's a quote that I love. If it's important to you, you'll find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. It's just so easy to put it off. Uh, there's a great website, and I love it, and uh, it's, it's called Rev Your Week. And here's what it says about excuses. No more, I'll do it tomorrow. No more buts. No more, I can't. No more, it's too hard. No more, I'm too tired. No more waiting to get for it to get easier. No more putting it off. No more, I don't have enough money. No more, I'm not good enough. No more, what if I could? No more excuses. 
Some of you this morning may be at a point in your life that you need to make a decision, and that is you need to take the next step. For some of you, it's baptism. You've been putting it off, or God's been working on your heart, and you keep one excuse after another why you're not going to do it. And I want you to know this morning, we are ready for you. We have a whole team in place. We are ready for you today, if that's where you're at. Some of you, it's about being a part of our family. You've seen what's going on on the west side. You want this to be your family, and we want this to be your family. So you may be making that decision. Again, we have a team ready to help you take that step. But don't use excuses with God, because he just doesn't need to hear those excuses. I was thinking as I was preparing for this message about baptism and about how God's used baptism to strengthen me in ministry for so many years. When I see somebody surrender to Christ, that never gets old. Years ago, we got a phone call, and at the time, there was only two people on staff. It was Tom and I was the youth minister. And Tom walked in and he goes, um, whatever you're doing, I need you to drop it because I'm really going to need help. And I said, well, what's going on? He says, I got a call from one of our members, and he's got a good friend that he's been working with, and uh, he wants to accept Christ. He wants to be baptized. And I said, oh, man, Tom, that's awesome. And I said, well, I'll, I'll just cancel everything. I'll come on upstairs. He goes, no, 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 you don't get it. Um, this guy's riddled with cancer. He's been working with this guy for years, and he wants to be baptized today. And I said, okay, so we're going to need to go to his house. He said, this house, John, is so far out in the country, uh, there's still an outhouse there. So we need to take the baptistry to them. And I said, okay, what are we taking? And he said, well, come on out. And I went out, and he had Emily, his daughter, a Smurf baby pool. And it was in his truck. And I said, um, where are we going to get the water? He goes, I have no idea. So we headed out in the country, somewhere on Rockport Road, and then we took another couple turns, and I heard harmonicas. You know what I'm saying? It was, we were out there. And we ended up at this house, and here's when I started crying. We walked in the door, and his wife had every pan in the house heating it up. She's just getting the water ready. And this poor guy looks up, and Tom leans over, and he says, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he said, you don't know how bad I want to do this. And we picked this frail body up in this pool full of water, and we lowered, we lowered him in the water. And I can't even explain to you the peace that came over this man's face. He laid him in bed, and we were driving back. You've ever had one of those drives with somebody for 10 minutes, nobody talks? We got two preachers in a truck. Somebody's going to talk. No, we weren't talking. Finally, here was the prophetic word. Wow. Wow. Sometimes I get really bummed out in ministry. I'll be the first one to tell you that. And I think of moments like that. And I see God moving. His buddy called me and called Tom the next day. And he said, there is a peace on this guy. I can't even explain. I don't know how God did this, but I'm so thankful he did. There's only one sad thing. He waited to the 11th hour. And I thought, what if he'd have made this decision years ago? What kind of a difference would that have made in his life if he'd have surrendered to Christ years ago? But I got to tell you something. He didn't use any more excuses. What about you this morning? 
for you to take the next step, what excuses are you using? Let's throw those out. Let's surrender to Jesus Christ, and let's get out of the way, and let's just see what God can do. Some of you this morning, again, it may be baptism. For some of you, this is your home, but this is the time as we stand, and let's sing, and let's pray for everybody here today.